If you have a Bible, let's go to the book of Acts. 29 Sundays now in the book of Acts, and I'm enjoying it. I hope you are too. Acts chapter 17 is where we are. We'll get a map up there to show you that we are in the middle of Paul's second missionary journey. He's crossed over into Europe. He first got to a place called Philippi where he met a lady who became the first follower of Jesus on the continent of Europe. Her name is Lydia. And then from Philippi, Paul goes to Thessalonica. Some people said, why isn't it Thessalonica? That's how I've always heard it. That's how I've always heard it. Until I heard it the week before last week. And I went, Thessalonica, I think that's the right way. And so I said it both ways last week. Some of the college students were ribbing me about that. They said, our whole life, you you said Thessalonica. Then you went Thessalonica. So... Uh, yeah, so you pick whatever one, whichever one you want, but that's where he goes. Then he goes to Berea, and then today we find him in this huge city called Athens. Athens was one of the greatest cities that has ever existed. It was the hub for culture. It was the hub for uh, learning. It was the hub for philosophical thinking. You might say that Athens was the university of the world. It was the pinnacle of education and higher thought and learning. Great philosophers that you've heard of like Socrates and Aristotle and Plato, they all called Athens home. And the Athenian people, they were a people who were also very religious. Now when I say very religious, that does not mean they were Baptists. In fact, it does not mean they were Christian. In fact, they were far from it, but they were very religious. If you had walked through Athens, and still to some degree today it's true, but especially when Paul walked through Athens, everywhere you looked, you would see shrines and statues to idols, all kinds of gods. It was said of Athens that if you walked into the city of Athens, you would have a better chance of encountering a god than encountering a person. There was just idols everywhere you looked, everywhere you turned, kind of like Dollar Generals are around here. You just couldn't go anywhere without seeing an idol somewhere or some kind of shrine to an idol. And I asked, you know, I do a parent powwow on Wednesday nights, and that's been a fun thing for me to get to do over the last couple of years nearly now. And I just ask questions, fun questions, and some thoughtful questions sometimes. And I asked this question this past Wednesday night, and, and, I, and I prefaced it by saying this. Now listen, as I ask this question, we're not pointing fingers here or trying to sound, you know, uh, holier than thou, because the reality is when we talk about idols, we know we all struggle with that. We, we do. Uh, it's been said that our hearts are idol-making factories. And uh, if you've been a follower of Jesus for any length of time, you also know that to be true. I know that to be true. But I asked them this question, what, what are some idols that you see in your Athens? And by that, what I, what I mean is this, and I'm asking you that question. I want you to be thinking about that. What are some idols that you see in the place where you live, in the place where you work, in the place where you shop, in the place where you go to school? As, as you think about the communities that we live in, what are some things that sometimes have a tendency to be elevated to a place that is higher even than where we would place God? To a place that we begin to set our affections on those things in such a way that they begin to take a priority 
over God himself. So I want you to think about that for just a moment. What are some potential idols that we see in the Athens of our lives? In other words, we don't like to say it this way, but things that we begin or the people around us sometimes begin to give their worship to. I know we don't want to think that we would ever worship anything or anybody but God, but let's face facts today. Maybe it will help identify the idols around us and in our lives if we ask ourselves these questions. So I want you to think a little deeper around these three questions. Number one is this, what or who is often loved or treasured more than God? I want you to think about your community, where you live, where most of your life is spent. What or who is often loved or treasured more than God? Secondly, what or who often takes priority before God? Maybe you're already kind of coming up with, I know, yeah, this tends to be that way and this does. And then third question, what or who often is looked to for satisfaction and joy instead of God? Powwow parents, they came up with some answers and they shared those. And I wonder if you're coming up with some answers there right now as you begin to think about your Athens. So what are some idols in our community today. You know, we're really not all that different, are we? Here in 2022 from Athens in 62. Not really a whole lot has changed. We just don't create statues and shrines to all the things that we tend to put before God. And what does verse 16 say that Paul's response was? As he's walking through this city, how did he respond to all these idols? It says, notice the text, he was deeply troubled, deeply troubled by all of the idols that he saw everywhere in the city. That word deeply troubled there has the idea of meaning he was agitated. In fact, he was infuriated. There was a sense of anger there. Why was Paul angry about all these idols around him? Look, the better question is, why aren't we disturbed by all the idols around us? And I'll tell you why. Idolatry deeply concerned and bothered Paul, but it barely gets our attention. We barely notice it. And the reason there's such a difference between how Paul looked at these idols in and around him and the way we look at the idols in and around us is simply this. And this is one man's opinion, but I believe Paul cared more for the glory of God than we do. I don't have another good answer. I don't have a better answer than that one, that he cared for the glory of God more than I do and more than most people that I know. Now, look, Athens was an impressive place. You would flip through the brochure from the travel guide and go, man, this is, wow, look at this. There was so much to do there, 
So much to see there, so much beauty there, so much culture there, so much art there. And you know what Paul's travel brochure of the city of Athens said? It's full of idols. That's what his said. You and I would have gone on a vacation there. And we would have found ways to try to minimize that or excuse that. But Paul's not wired up. Like we are. Here's why all those idols got under his skin. They stole the glory that belongs to God. And to God alone. And Paul couldn't handle that. Paul loved God so much. And he knew that God would not share his glory with another. And this is why it bothered him so deeply. The one true God alone deserves every drop of the glory. And that was not the case in Athens. Paul wasn't interested in the things that would have drawn our attention. He wasn't gawking at the statues. He wasn't gawking at the architecture. He wasn't in awe of some of the philosophical and academia elites that were around him. Paul looked and he saw the hearts of people and he saw they were lost and he saw they were in darkness and he saw that they were confused and his heart broke and he was angered in that brokenness of heart. God, let me remind you, is the God who also looks at the heart. Man may look around at outward appearance, but God looked at the heart and Paul saw the hearts of the Athenian people and they were bankrupt and they were, they, were, they were longing and searching for truth, for hope, and they weren't finding it. And so God after God after God continues to go up hoping that they would find what their soul is longing for. And in the meantime, God is being robbed of all of his glory. And every drop of that glory and that worship and praise should be to him and to him alone. And it wasn't. And Paul was stirred up. Paul was on fire. Paul was on fire for God to be glorified in every square inch of wherever he was. Grace Life, are we on fire like that today? I think we know the answer to that question. The New Testament is filled with verses from Paul about the glory of God. He said, I preach for the glory of God. He said, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Even if it's just eating or drinking something, he says, do it all for the glory of God. He reminds me of Elijah in the Old Testament. He was so on fire for God's glory there that he could not stand to see all these people worshiping that false prophet Baal. Elijah said of himself, God, I am jealous for your glory. I'm not jealous for anything for me. I want every square inch of this world to be captured for your glory. And God, I'm jealous for that because you're the God of hosts. Grace Life, what caught the heart of Paul and the heart of Elijah, isn't that what ought to be capturing our hearts today? The glory of God? 
Isn't that what should be driving us and moving us and motivating us and orbiting our lives around the glory of God? These men and men like them and women like them made huge dents in the days that they lived for the glory of God. And if you and I are going to do the same thing in the days and the places with which we live, then we've got to focus our lives on these two facts. Number one, these won't be on the screen. I just want you to get these. Number one is this. People are lost and dying without Jesus. Every moment, people are lost and they're dying without Jesus. And number two, the greatest injustice that is happening is God is being robbed of His glory constantly in us and around us. What are we going to do about those two facts? I'm asking you. People are dying without Jesus. And God is being robbed of His glory. Grace Life, listen, I'm telling you today, it's okay to get a little stirred up about God's glory. The people of God don't sit passively by when people are perishing apart from Jesus. The people of God don't sit passively by when God is being robbed of His glory. The people of God, they act decisively, urgently, and sometimes aggressively. Elijah called down fire from heaven. Moses threw the tablets down as he came down the mountain. David said, zeal for your house has consumed me. Jeremiah said, I have fire that is shut up in my bones. Jesus went and he flipped over tables. Now I'm not suggesting that we go do anything aggressive like that, but I am suggesting that we stop doing nothing. And that aggressiveness... That urgency has to first be directed right here to our own hearts and our own lives. We can't be duped into becoming stirred up about our brother's idol while we choose to overlook our own idol. So it starts here. But then we've got to move from self-examination to global service. Because God has called us to go to all the nations and capture every square inch of this world. For His glory and for His glory alone. So in Acts chapter 17, Paul springs into action in verse 17. He's compelled by those two things. People are lost and they're dying without Jesus. And God is being robbed of His glory. So he didn't go back to his hotel room and turn on the TV. In verse 17, he gets to where the people are. Verse 17 says, He went to the synagogue to reason with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles. That's his normal starting place. He wants to find people who have a sense of God and a fear of God. And that's a place to start. And he spoke daily in the public square to all who happened to be there. Now let me just kind of paint a picture of Athens for you. The public square was enormous. You can go there today and still see a lot of this stuff that's there. It's amazing. It's an enormous place. Huge, beautiful, civil, 
buildings, religious temples all around, just everywhere. And then in the middle of that was this gigantic marketplace, this gigantic outdoor mall. Vendors from all throughout the region with all kinds of different items and goods were there peddling those, seeking to sell those. And so the picture here is that Paul is meandering here among all of these masses of these people. And what's he doing? He's telling everybody that he can about Jesus. Nobody there has ever heard of Jesus. That name and who he is and what he's done, that hasn't been proclaimed there yet. So everywhere Paul's walking through this crowd, he's having conversations with people. And this is something new to their ears. And, and, and the Athenians loved that, by the way. They loved new ideas. They loved to hear a new philosophy, something new. And so they were listening to Paul. He's getting a lot of attention. And in the middle of this marketplace, the Agora, in the middle of that, you would have found the stuffy kind of guys, right? They looked different, they dressed different, they acted different, they talked different. These are the philosophers, and they met in the middle of all of this. And so you got this little group of philosophers sitting here pontificating, and you got this little group of philosophers over here sitting there and pontificating, and Paul makes his way to these thinkers. Verse 18 says he also had a debate with some of the Epicurean. And Stoic philosophers. Now, I would love for you and me to talk more about what the Epicureans and the Stoics believe, but I don't have enough time today to talk about that. But you can do a little research and find that pretty easily. They don't believe Jesus. These here in the first century had no idea who Jesus is, so we can leave it at that. And the Bible says when he told them about Jesus and his resurrection, they said, what's this babbler trying to say with these strange ideas he's picked up? Others said he seems to be preaching about some foreign gods. They called him a babbler. The, 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 the meaning of that for their word was he's a seed picker. You know, what does a seed picker mean? What, what they were saying is he's like one of these little birds that's just going around and eating a seed here and eating a seed there and eating a seed there. Doesn't really have a place of his own. He's just picking up scraps from here and there and pulling it together. And they said, that's all this guy's doing. He's just here in Athens, and he's hearing a little of this and a little bit of that. And he's pulling it together. And he's kind of twisting it into whatever he wants it to be. Look, so they're calling him names, right? People start acting funny when their idol gets put under a spotlight. I do. And you do. And the people around us, they do. And the Athenian philosophers, they did too. And so they react by calling Paul this name. And look, if we really believe the Bible, we really believe the gospel, and we're going to be what we're supposed to be, people who are telling people the gospel and sharing people with Jesus, bank on it, you're going to get mocked too. You're going to get called some names too. They're going to call you somebody that's not intelligent. You're, you're outdated. They're, they're going to accuse you of talking about the Bible, and they would say, you call it a message of love, but it's really a message of hate. And they're going to mock and scorn. Listen to what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. A bunch of our ladies in the church read this this week, I think. Chapter 1, verse 18, Paul says, The message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction. But we who are being saved know it's the very power of God. Think about that. It's like somebody's drowning and, and you throw them a 
a life ring, right? And they look at that and they go, that's crazy. That's dumb. I'm drowning. And you're like, yeah, th- this is your way out. No, that's crazy. That's dumb. But the rest of us who have grabbed onto the life ring, we're going, thank you. This is good. This makes sense. It's the message of the cross is foolish to those who are headed for destruction, but we who are being saved know it's the very power of God. Listen to what Eugene Peterson says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He, he paraphrases uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3 in the message paraphrase of the Bible. In verse 18, he says, Don't fool yourself. Don't think that you can be wise by merely being relevant. <laughs> be God's fool. I love that. Be God's fool. That's the path to true wisdom. What the world calls smart, God calls stupid. It's written in Scripture. He exposes the hype of the hipsters. The master sees through the smoke screens of the know-it-alls. Listen, the world thinks that it's wise, but the world's upside down. What the world calls wise, God calls foolish. And what the world calls foolish cross God calls wise verse 19 back to Athens says so then they took him Paul to the high council of the city come and tell us about this new teaching they said you're saying some rather strange things and we want to know what what it's all about verse 21 Luke gives a little explanation of what's going on he says it should be explained that all the Athenians, as well as the foreigners in Athens, seem to spend all of their time discussing the latest ideas. Like football's our thing. Thinking and ideas and philosophy were their thing. They, they had like fantasy leagues built around philosophers, right? You like had the Aristotle astronauts over here and the, the Socrates stallions. Right? I mean, this is what their world was about. And so they're saying to Paul, we want to hear about this. And so the high council calls him to come. And they take him to what's called the Aragopis, the Aeropagus, the Aeropagus. It's also known as Mars Hill. That's a little easier to say. And if you go to that place today, you can see the Aeropagus. You can see Mars Hill. And at the base of it, uh, there in Greek, because this is in Greece anyway, uh, you will see the text of Paul's speech from Mars Hill out of Acts chapter 17. And we're going to read that speech soon. But before I do, let me tell you a little bit about the Areopagus. It's the place where the high council of Athens met. Think about sort of like the Supreme Court. They took the, the highest thinkers, the highest in philosophy, the highest in the law, and they put those men, typically it was no less than 30, And they would have their high council meetings, kind of like our Supreme Court does. They would have those on top of Mars Hill at the Areopagus. And the reason they want to invite Paul up there and they want to hear from Paul is because one of the duties of this council that met at the top of the Areopagus is this. They want to make sure that if somebody has brought a new God into Athens that they don't know about, they want to examine that and make sure that that God is not somehow going to blaspheme any of the other gods that they worship. Does that make sense? You can't let a new guy come into your city worshiping a new God if that's going to mean that your gods get drugged through the mud. So that's why they want to talk to Paul. They want to determine this God that he's talking about, is he going to line up? Is he going to get along with? Is he going to be friends with 
the rest of these gods. See, Paul has brought them to a God that they've not heard of. And they need to make sure he's going to fit into their life. He's going to fit into their system. He's going to fit in to what they have going on. Now, spoiler alert. Paul has no interest in the one true God just being another God on their shelf. (laughs) You see where this is going? Paul is on a mission here to make sure that all the other gods fall down before the one true God and that the one true God is the only one who has brought glory and worship and praise in the city of Athens. And by the way, they are not ready for Paul. I mean, they have PhDs upon PhDs upon PhDs, but they are not ready for the spirit-filled Apostle Paul. Paul is the right man for the right place at the right time right now for this opportunity. Let me just remind you of his bio a little bit. He's a Jew. He's a highly trained Jew. Deeply taught into the Jewish religion. Trained in the best religious school that the Jewish people had to offer. And and that will be appreciated by the Athenian people. Because there's some intellect that's there. There's some religiousness that is there. And they'll appreciate that. He was also well-cultured, knowledgeable. He knows about politics. He knows about agriculture. He knows about sports. He knows about travel. He knows about enterprise. He can carry on a conversation. He's also a Roman citizen that's been soaked in Greek culture and philosophy. He's a brilliant man. A gifted communicator. He can write incredibly. He can speak incredibly well. He's the right person for this moment. And for this opportunity. And I got to say this to you. You're the right person. You're the right person. In the right place. At the right moment. That God's given the right opportunity to. You're that person. You're different from me and we're different from Paul and God's made us all different because we're to reach all kinds of different people. And my notes tell me right here that I'm supposed to keep on going and get us to Paul's speech. But I've sensed this morning that God has directed me to not do that. Because what comes in the second part of this text isn't going to matter to us. If we don't first make sure that we've dealt fully with what we've already talked about in the first part of this text. So God would not let me run ahead to the next part. Because I think we need, and I need, to spend some more time on the first part. So this may throw a curve to Barry and the worship team. So if you guys, they may still be in life groups. So if y'all want to start coming on, come on. But today... Grace Life, I want to go back to idols. We need to make sure that we're honestly dealing with the idols that may be in our lives. Let's go back. Let's look at the questions again that I asked you. Can you put that back up there? Those questions, there we go. Here's the first one. What or who is often loved or treasured more than God? Talking about you now. What do you often love or treasure more than God? Maybe you even need to write it down. Just 
Something about when you write it down, it means something. Answer that question, would you? Talking about you. Number two, what or who often takes priority before God? Do this at home, too, if you're watching now. Think, think. You listen to the, to the Lord here. Let the Holy Spirit answer these questions for you. Three, what or who often is looked to for satisfaction instead of God? And if you've identified what tends to be, can be, an idol or idols in your life. Listen, if you've been around Grace Life a little bit of time, you probably know what comes next. You've got a choice to make right now. You've got to choose, okay, this is what I love and find satisfaction in, and this means more to me than anything else. And so my choice is, A, I close my fingers up over it, and I keep walking down that path. Or... B, I open my hands before God and say, God, this has a tendency to have more of my affection, more of my attention, more of my value. I find more of my worth and my identity in this sometimes than you. And so, God, I'm, I'm giving this to you because I'm not handling it well. And I want you to be first in my life. So we have that choice. What are you going to do right now? with how you answer those questions. Cling to it or turn it loose and let it go. Hey, look, there should be no competition for God's glory in our lives. Joshua said, choose today. Not tomorrow. Choose today who you're going to serve. Choose today who you're going to serve. If you've chosen to serve God alone, then let's look at these three questions again. But I want you to think about your Athens. I want you to think about all the people that you see every day who don't know Jesus. And every day they're trying to find something that's going to fill that emptiness in their heart. Just like the Athenian people. Maybe the next thing is going to do it. Maybe the next thing is going to do it. And what lies in their wake is what lied in our wake. Just this wreckage of idol after idol after idol that made promises but never delivered. Don't you care about those people who need Jesus? So let's understand where they are. What or who is often loved or treasured more than God in my Athens? What or who often takes priority over God in my Athens? What or who often is looked to for satisfaction and joy instead of God in my Athens? Did you identify some idols in your Athens right here in our community? They didn't powwow the other night. Are you identifying some right now? If yes... I ask you this, does that bother you? It's 
says Paul was deeply distressed. Does it bother you? Does it bother you, Grace Life, that so many people around us don't know Jesus? Does it bother us, Grace Life, that everywhere we look, a robbery is happening? God is being robbed of His glory? Does that bother us? Then what are we going to do? What will you do? You say, Pastor, listen, I... I can't do much. I'm not a Paul. I'm not an Elijah. I'm not that person. I'm just me. How can I possibly make a dent in my world? I'm just me. You are just you. And that's exactly who God wants. You are the exact person. The perfect person. That God wants to use. Today. In your world. In your Athens. You're the right person for the right time. At the right place. Let me ask you. Just think, think, think. How dare the pastor ask me to think. I came to church to worship. Think. How is God. How's God going to use. You as a plumber. For his glory. How's God going to use you as a teacher. For his glory. How's God going to use you as a. Steel mill worker for his glory. A waitress, a nine to fiver, an overtimer, a supervisor, an employer, a mom, a dad, a tenth grader, a first grader, a college student, a grandparent. How is God going to use those stations that he has put you at in your life? How is he going to use you to make a dent in this world for his glory? He wants to. Will you partner with him? Will you think? And will you dream? And will you imagine of what God wants to do through you? The question before us today is just this. You say, I don't don't know how to answer that. That's okay. Answer this. Because if you answer this right, the rest will come. Will you today love Jesus with your whole life? Will you love God today with your whole life? You may not know the what or the how, but if you'll love God with your whole life, He'll handle the rest. He'll make a dent through the plumber. He'll make a dent through the teacher and the nurse. Whoever you are, God, that's the question you've laid at our feet today. Will we love you with our whole heart, with our whole life, with everything that we have? Or will we choose today to close our hands around lesser gods, 
who are no gods at all. Grace Life, let's stand and let's worship the Lord. And I want to invite you to respond to, to God's word today. To worship, to pray. You can pray where you are. You can pray at this altar. We just want to spend this time with the Lord. And we want to make sure that our hearts are where they ought to be today. Until that happens, what Paul has to say in the rest of Acts 17 really doesn't matter to us. We've got to get this right. And when that's right, then where we step, God's going to use us to capture inch after inch for His glory.